Welcome to the microphone, Mr. Sean Lawrence. Woohoo! Yeah, buddy. All right, let me pray for this guy. Not that he needs it. Boot. We don't want to hear from Sean. We want to hear from the Lord. So no, I don't want to hear from Everybody say Jesus. Jesus. I'm ready. I'm ready. So, Jesus, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for Sean. Lord, we thank you that he is, God, so in tune with the Father's heart. And God, we thank you for just the word he's going to deliver to us tonight. God, may we just recognize the power of the blood of Jesus in our own life. Lord, if we're not changed here tonight, it's because we didn't listen. So, Lord, we pray that you'd unplug our ears. God, that we'd have our hearts and eyes ready. You bless our brother. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You're very handsy. It's ridiculous. Um, I'm stoked, excited, not centered. There we go. So, um, I was bummed. I've got this sweet Britney Spears mic, but I can't wear my glasses now. So I lose credibility because I've been told I look rather intelligent. So I don't know what I'm going to do. I've got to convince you otherwise. Um, so we're still in Ephesians. It's exciting. Um, we were in Ephesians 5 two weeks ago, and we're in Ephesians 5 this week. Um, and we're going through verses 22 through 33. And for me, this is like the most exciting um, couple verses because uh, like... I don't know, like two months ago, Havila came and spoke, and she, she had some amazing words of knowledge for a lot of people. And one of the things she said about me was, everything I talk about, think about, or even hope for are going to become solidified as I just continue to go after them. And so, like, I would so love for these concepts to be solidified in my life, because then I'd be awesome. Um, so if you can turn with me to Ephesians uh, 5.22, we're going to have it up there, because Sal is up in the dark of that room. Um, but this could be, we, we talked last week, uh, no, two weeks ago about walk in love and walk in light, and then Eric spoke about what it means to walk in wisdom and to walk in the will of God for our lives, and this could be called to walk in harmony, but I'm done with walking, like, so I'm going to talk about something pseudo different, um, and that is just what it means, uh, relationships and, and relationships and expectations for marriage, um, which is awesome because I'm not married. Ain't no ring on this finger. It's great. Um, that was not in my notes. So Ephesians 5, 22. Um, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For husband, the husband is the head of the wife. Also, Christ is the head of the church. And he is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this, re for this reason, a man shall leave his wife and his mother, leave his father and his mother, and be joined to his wife, and to the two shall become one. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the, hus the, let the wife see that she respects her husband. There's a lot of wife-husband swapping stuff in there. It kills me when I'm trying to read it. But it's a really, really powerful verse. In my Bible, it's just fully highlighted. Like, there's no way around it. And I've been um, reading this, uh, you know, for the last six, 
seven, what's, it's the eighth month now? For the last eight months, um, that's really a good thing. Like, my relationship ended January 1st, so it's really easy to, like, remember, like, how long I've been Sean Solo. Um, um, <laughs> Star Wars. Um, so usually people take this verse and they start talking about submission and they make it all about like what the woman is supposed to do when really there's a huge amount of stuff in here for husbands. And even within, um, we're really, really good at picking out kind of like what we want to see happen, especially guys. Like if you're like, what do you expect from your future wife? You're like Proverbs 31, submission. You've got all these like concepts that the church loves to talk about and a lot of arm waving. But in reality, like, none of this stuff matters. Most of the Christian, like, theologians, they get really angry about things like this. They start arguing about complementarian versus egalitarian, like, these big, long words that mean nothing to most people. Um, and one side claims that, like, the wife is to be fully submitted, and it's all about this male-centric household. And the other one's, like, they're one, and, and they just kind of argue back and forth using the same verses, like, interpreted slightly different. And I have no interest in doing that tonight. I would, number one, I'm nowhere near a theologian, so I would just spin a circle and just pass out because I wouldn't be able to control that thought. But one of the great things Waterbury always says is that if we have our, our vertical relationship with God fully settled, then our horizontal relationships are going to be in, in right alignment. And so rather than go through, like, this is what you should do and this is what he should do and, like, pick and choose, I just want to focus on what it means um, in the, what does relationships mean in the context of this kind of vertical relationship? Even if, one of the great things, I'm not even going to, I didn't get a chance to talk about this, but I'm excited about it. Like even look at the last sentence uh, in verse 33, it says, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Most men are like, yes, make sure she respects me. And it's like, no, dude, you need to make yourself respectful. Like make, respectful? No, make yourself worthy of respect. Like, you can't always put all these things on the wife. You need to put so much more on yourself. And so that's kind of my heart for tonight, which I'm excited about because I am super convicted and yet extremely excited about. So, sweet. I love talking in the dark, apparently. Um, and, and really, in this verse, we see stuff about submission. We see stuff about selfless love. That's Christ's love and just how he modeled it. And then self-love, and this is not the self-love we usually think about. It's love your wives as yourself. It's kind of a clever self-love. But we've been talking, we talked about love two weeks ago, and so I'm kind of like, I'm going to breeze through that area and really talk about what that verse that says, sanctify and cleanse your wives by the washing of water of the word. That's really exciting to me, and I love that concept. But first, I want to quickly touch on this, uh, this submission bit. Is there stuff behind me? There's words. Um, so, it's not just for women is the point I want to make. Like if you go, if you continue reading verse, chapter six, like we're not going to do that. I don't know when we're going to do it. But if you continue reading through chapter six, it talks about servants being submissive to masters, young people being submissive to elders. If you go to first Peter, it says everyone be submissive to everyone. Like it, it's not just like singling out one population group. That's when you get kind of dangerous when, when you just like, you need to be submissive and we're going to be this. And really, the Bible really preaches that health comes from appropriate submission. I mean, I like picking and choosing what the best, but I don't really want to do that tonight. So one of the things I've, I was thinking about was like, 
a lot of times guys have this, or even women have this distorted view of, of what the woman's role is within the church. There's that one, I don't know where it is, Knopf might know. He, he gets on my case because I like, I read and I don't memorize with flashcards, so I can't tell you where it is unless I have Google, but it's there, I promise. Um, but the point is there's this one passage somewhere and someone is writing to someone and they're saying, <laughs> women, don't let the women speak in church. Boom! Bibled me. And what he, he's talking like to a specific church at a specific time. Like you got to remember that the Bible wasn't like, they weren't writing this like, this is going to be the Bible, this is going to be awesome, I'm going to be remembered. They were writing letters and then it all got included in the Bible. And what he was writing to was, uh, back in that day, like they did this, these like double seating areas. I don't know, they didn't do that. But they had two seating areas and they'd have men and women and that's just how they did the church and during sermons like the dudes would just sit and take notes and be really quiet and the women would just chatter on like the whole time and so paul or peter or first corinthians or whoever wrote it was writing to that church and saying make sure the women don't chatter throughout the services he's not writing saying like women have no place in the church and but we take these these little concepts and we build theological principles out of them that really distort relationships and the role of women and marriage and just a huge amount of things, especially even, I love how it's done in, in Ephesians. Like, if you read um, Ephesians, starting in verse 22, it says, wives submit to your own husbands. But there's a little, like, heading above verse 22 that says, marriage, Christ in the church. And they, like, those headings were not put in here by Paul. Like, someone decided that those headings would help Christians digest the word. So they put them in there, but by putting it in there, you're separating the thought before it with the thought after it. So instead of saying, "Why, uh, you know, this is a new thought, wives submit to your husbands, if you go read 21, the verse right before it, it says, submitting to one another in the fear of God. It's like uh, mutual submission, random title, women's submission. It's like, if that wasn't there, it would be a completely different idea. But we, we simplify or we complicate things with our own, like, additions. And so really, that's what I want to get at is, is that this, this passage, like some people, some women especially, then they like see this, they're like, oh God, we're going to get blasted and this is going to suck. But like this is exciting because I'm not going to do that, um, first of all, because I like women, and, and secondly, because it's not in here. Um, and if you go first, first Peter 5, 5, is that up here? I didn't write it in my notes. Sal. Maybe. Um, but essentially what it says is being submissive to one another clothed in humility. And it's just the same idea. Like, I love uh, my Bible because it's got all these cross-references. And if you read the, yeah, if you read, um, if you read the verse and you read the cross-references, it takes you to this verse that says that the submission should be rooted in, like, a mutual submission. So really, like, for example, with Naf, like, we're not married, so this doesn't fully work, but... I'm under, I'm under his, I know, super awkward. I'm under his, I'm under his, like, I'm under his leadership. Like, it's, I guess what I was trying to get at is it's really easy to submit to excellent leadership. Like, every time I get a talk, I put together, like, random scribbles. I scribble on that, then I scribble some more, and then I send it to him. And it's not because he told me, like, I want to see your notes beforehand so I can check to make sure that you're not going to blaspheme and cuss and swear and do all these things. He just, like... I send it to him because he's constructive and he's like, he makes me feel like a million bucks. That's awkward too, but 
really, like, it's really easy to submit if the leadership is really good. And that should speak, I mean, that speaks volumes to what is expected of husbands. Like, we don't go to church and talk about submission. Like, go to church and talk about all the stuff you have to do. And then just watch as your future wife and all these things come into line. I mean, he's not worried about an erosion of his fan base. He just wants to see the word spoken. And it's so easy to submit to that. Now, the last two weeks um, have been really powerful. La- the, the week before last, we talked about what it meant to walk in love. And so I went through, I, I kind of picked and chose the verses I liked in this verse and kind of talked about it. But it's all about, I talked about selfless love and how um, you need to emulate Christ's love in order to see love worked out in your life. And so rather than like double dipping that and talking about it again, one of the things I just wanted to point out was that when, um, when Saul was walking on the road to Damascus and he was on his way to persecute the church, 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 some more, um, one of the, Jesus showed up and he said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And it wasn't, why are you persecuting my church? It was, why are you persecuting me? And, and that was the level of love that Christ had for the church. When, when people were persecuting, it was him being persecuted. And so this whole, like, we hear about um, man and woman becoming one and love your wives as Christ loved the church and have this self, selfless love. It's so readily embodied in who Christ is and what he wanted to do. And so, I mean, if, if you don't fully remember that, go back and listen to it. And, and last week, Knopf's talk, like I listened to it in a hotel room and it was awesome. But really the thing that I'm most excited about talking about tonight is that verse 26, that he might sanctify her and wash her by, uh, cleanse her by the washing of the water of the word. And really the sanctification thing comes up. I graphed sanctification again because I love doing that. And it, it's everywhere, like especially Exodus, Leviticus, and then like Hebrews where Jesus is talking about, or they're talking about how Jesus is this great high priest. But in, in Exodus and Leviticus, he says, I am the Lord that sanctifies. Sanctify yourselves, I will do a great work. He just goes on and on about it. And even you get to 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 4, and, and whoever's writing that, I forget now, he says, this is the will of God, your sanctification. And it talks about abstaining from sexual immorality. And that's what Knopf talked about last week, right? Yeah. And so there's this strong link between abstaining from these things and, and being sanctified, but there's so much more than that. Like every time I used to think about it, I was like, oh, sancti- sanctification, purity, I'll just simplify it to something I already can sort of understand. But there's so much more than that. And in 1 Peter, it goes, it says, 1 Peter 3, 15 Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks for the reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. And it's really, sanctification should be everybody's work. But within the context of Ephesians, it's, it's, it's also kind of the husband's role. And, and to be sanctified, essentially, like every time it says sanctified in here, it has like a little mark and then it says set apart. And really, that's like the simplest definition definition. But here, I, I looked it up in this, you know, the great theologians have great sentences with big words. But it says, it is the work of the Holy Spirit bringing the whole nature more and more under the influences of the new gracious principles implanted in the heart, in the soul during regeneration. It's like, ah, oh, what does that even mean? And it essentially means sanctification is 
carrying on to perfection, the work began in regeneration. So Christ died for the sin, your sins. You've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. All of those great things he says in Ephesians. And yet you're like, I should be awesome. And yet I feel just as useless as before. And it's because you need to be continually sanctified. Actually, if you go to Hebrews 10, 14, this is one of my favorite verses. For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Like I used to think like, perfection and sanctification like they were in some way the same thing so I read that and I was like then what does that mean like how are you perfect and not sanctified like it's it's still kind of difficult to grasp but the idea is God sees you through the lens of Jesus Christ there's nothing you can do there's nothing you can say there's no thought you can have there's nothing that he, he hasn't already foreseen and he doesn't care at all because he sees Christ the perfect lamb and he just sees everything that he is so you are perfect in God's eyes but you look at yourself and I'm like oh I'm very not perfect I'm still prone to this I want to look at that I drink this like there's huge amounts of things in our lives are like I don't really like that about myself and it's because it's good because you should you should want to grow in righteousness in these things and the cool thing about that is Within marriage, within relationships, it's not like co-living, cohabiting, and it's working together towards that goal. Jesus, um, it, his, he is described as the groom, and we are his bride, and the church is his bride, and eventually we're going to meet him in heaven, and it's going to be awesome, and there are going to be church bells, and I hope we're not wearing dresses. But he, he expects this spotless bride. And so in John 17, this is his last prayer. I read this thing regularly because if any prayer you're going to listen to, it's going to be the Son of God and his last big prayer. And so in John 17, at the end of praying for the disciples, he says, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. That's John 17, 17. So there's this link between our sanctification and the word. And if you, um, if you look at John 15, 3, And this is when Jesus is talking about being the vine. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. And he just goes on and on, the the vine dresser analogy. It's really beautiful. And you can sit and think about all these things forever. But in the middle of talking about like, you know, vines and fruit and all these things, he says, you are already clean because of the word that was spoken to you. And then he goes back to talking about the vine again. I was reading that one day and I was like, I want to know what it means to abide. And I'm, I'm reading over and over, and I'm like, what is that sentence about? That has nothing, it seemingly has nothing to do with this whole abiding in Christ thing. But for, there's this, Jesus is yet again making the, the statement that you are cleansed by the word. You are cleansed by the truth. Your word is truth. And the more I think about it, the word is what Jesus spoke. Jesus spoke perspective into, the, into his disciples. He spoke how to love and give and serve, walking by faith, abiding in Christ. Christ's word really set them apart. Like They all died terrible deaths, all of them. And they would not have been able to do that if Christ hadn't set them apart from the world. And it was done by the word. He constantly promises to do great and mighty things. And in Isaiah, he says, call to me and I will show you great and inaccessible things which you do not know. Like his desire is to just pour out his word. But within marriage, this is that is... It's so necessary to be washed by the cleansing of the word. And really, you can't 
as husbands, like you cannot, or future husbands, like some of this seems ridiculous. We're largely like young adults. Not, not many of us are couples. Some of us are married couples. But in, in general, woo. Um, in general, like we're like, why does this have to do with me? But really, if you're looking forward to a whole marriage in which you are everything you need to be for your spouse, you need to prepare now. Like, especially husbands. Good Lord, like if, you, if it says sanctify your, words by the wa- sanctify your wives by the washing of the water of the word, like if you, you get to marriage and you want to try and wash your wives by the word, like if you want to try and set them apart, you've got nothing to go on. You're like, ah, it's the blind leading the blind. Or it's like modern day, like the blind with like a blind person and a navigation system. Like it's not going to end well. And it's not something you can, like, pick up in marriage. I was, I'm in that group of, like, almost marriage, right? I got so close, but I would not have been even remotely capable of, of just setting Liz apart for all that she was to be. Like, I, I to me, um, my relationship with Christ was my relationship with Christ. I had no interest in, like, praying with her because it was just the thing, there was my relationship with Christ, it was so stupid. Like, how can someone who wants to get married to someone and be one with that person, like, not want to pray with them? And God just smacked me in the back of the head because I would have completely wrecked her in, in so many ways. And so, I, like, I read this and I'm like, yes, this is great. Like, I'm in the Word daily now, not because it's what I need to do. I love it. But I, I, the more I read this, I'm like, yes. Like, he's preparing. I'm, I'm fully... Um, convinced that everything he does is for my betterment. Like every good and perfect thing comes down from the Father of heaven with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. So he's doing these things in our lives for a purpose. And in my life, like his purpose is that I can actually yield or, you know, cleanse with the washing in the water of the word. And this isn't just like a rant about what guys need to do. Like you women need to look for this in a man. Like you cannot just expect, oh, he'll, he'll pick it up. Like, as we go along, like, you need to be looking for a man who is a leader. It's, it's the difference between, I was trying to imagine what it would look like if, like, someone's going through a super difficult time. And there, I, I've had, like, I have a group of, like, non-Christian friends, and I have a group of, like, holy Christian friends. And um, when I'm going through a crappy time, like, the, the non-Christians, they're like, oh, dude, like, it'll get better. That's all they got. They got nothing. And I sit down with like Waterbury and Knopf and all my, these guys and they're like, this is what the word says about you. This is who you are. And they just speak identity and truth. And they just, they take all these notions about what I think and they just sweep it away and they speak truth into my life. And it is so powerful. Now imagine you're in marriage and your wife gets fired and you don't have, you're nearly about to get fired. Like, things are crappy. You can't make payments on your cars. There's a huge amount of things going on. What are you going to say? Like, eh, it'll get better. Or are you going to say, like, no, don't worry about it, babe. We've got this and this and God says this and I will never leave you nor forsake you. And you just have word after word after word. By the end of that, like, the word it has a cleansing ability. And it just, it speaks life and truth. I, every Every time I'm distraught and I get in the word, God is like, this is exactly what I think. And, and now I'm like, I'm so excited about it. Like when, uh, when things are crappy, I, I can kind of see what's going on, but not for the most part, no. But I'm with my friends and something crappy happens and I have something to say. And it's not like, you know, it'll be better. Don't worry about it, man. So 
Husbands, you got to pre-sanctify yourselves. It's all about what we view ourselves to be. Like if, if you go into this verse and you're like, yes, wives submit to your husbands. That sounds awesome. That sounds like no more, um, you know, making spaghetti and eating top ramen. Like she's going to cook for me. And she's going to go do the shopping. And you like, you put on all these like prototypical ideas, it's, it's not going to be any good. But if you go into this and you're like, man, I've got to do this. Husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. So I'm only going to be able to love as God brings revelation about how much he loves the church. So I need to get in the word and read because if not, my love is going to be useless. Love your wives as Christ, or as you love yourself. Like, ah, I'm not, I'm not a big fan of my, if you have like self-hate and all this doubt and all these like swirling emotions and you, you're barely standing on your own, how are you going to love your wives as yourself if you can't even love yourself like every single line in this is some truth about what you need to be and what you need to value but if you you don't go into marriage with this idea that um, women are submissive to you if you look at them as like if if I'm sorry. I'm used to like talking to like uh, guys in like a Bible study, and so I just address guys constantly, and I just kind of like leave all the girl stuff out. But like, so I'm 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 getting used to it. But um, if as guys, we we I know what I'm doing. You should expect these things in men. There you go. There you go. Blanket truth. Um, no, but as if as, if as guys, instead of going it into as like this is all the things I'm going to get, if you go into it thinking, man. Christ is the ultimate groom, so I'm just a placeholder. Then you go into it thinking, man, I've got to sanctify and build up and like make sure that this woman remains pure. The Holy Spirit is the agent of sanctification in our lives for the most part. He's working in us, bringing truth, speaking, I mean, leading and guiding and shaping and molding like that. There's the, the still small voice is so amazing in our lives. But his ministry to us is not always just this direct and personal thing. Sometimes he uses events and people and all sorts of things. And so it, it's entirely plausible that he would use relationships to mold you into a better person. This guy, John MacArthur, I have no idea who he is, but I like his quote. Just as saving grace makes believers holy through the cleansing agency of the word of God, it is with that same purpose and in that same love that husbands are to cultivate the purity, righteousness, and sanctity of their wives. Let me read that again. Just as the saving grace makes believers holy through the cleansing agency of the word of God, it is with the same purpose and in that same love that husbands are to cultivate the purity, and righteousness, purity, righteousness, and sanctity of their wives. And this really isn't to say like that wives are to just, you know, or women are just supposed to like lay down and wait until they get married and then like we'll work on my sanctity. Like, you know, in the same way that guys are supposed to be adding all of these truths into their lives and living according to the word and getting in the word daily and praying and really exhorting each other, so women should be doing the same thing. But within marriage, there is a responsibility for men to cultivate these things. I mean, Knopf said, or someone said, I'll attribute it to Knopf because it's a good quote, you will know the measure of a man by the countenance of his wife. That's so true. I don't know where I was going with that, but I like that quote. <laughs> Dave doesn't like it, dang it. <laughs> yeah, but, sorry. Essentially, I'm supposed to lead my future wife into righteousness. 
But the question is, are you ready to lead? Like, I would argue, and I don't know if this will be very popular in like a young adult group, but I, I would argue that you shouldn't be dating if you're not ready to lead. Because if marriage is like the finish line, then dating is like running the race. Like, the, the, the whole point of dating, if, if we're, we're not non-Christians, so we don't, you know, get to hook up and do all those things, so then dating is just emotionally, like if you just go from relationship to relationship, you're building heart connections with all of these people and really robbing your future wife of just the growth that you could be having in those times. Dating is pre-marriage and you really shouldn't be constantly going from relationship to relationship. It's, it's a sign of something else. Like I, I had a friend who recently, he just told me like, dude, I've, I've had a girlfriend for the last eight years never with more than like two months between girlfriends. Like he just serial dates. And he, he said, God convicted me. Like I, I need to be growing outside of relation, these relationships. I am robbing my wife to be of all of the growth I could be having. And really, we should expect to see these things in our lives. Like it's not degrading in any way for women to expect this spiritual covering. It's, it's one of the most exciting things. Like imagine wives now. Imagine, or future wives, girlfriends, women, girls. I don't I'm out of my element. Imagine your husband, and he's a man of God. Every morning he's up at six in the morning. You get up, he's already made coffee. He's like, how's, the, how's your day, babe? I'm so ready. For, she's like, what, what have you been doing? I was like, oh, I, I prayed already for your job. I prayed through your... Uh, the rest of your day, you're fully covered. I read this in the Word, and it said this about you. Like, imagine you woke up to a guy like that. It, it doesn't matter what's happening. Like, he could, well, no, that's not a good idea. But, like, that's a, <laughs> the idea is, like, it's such an exciting thing to have this spiritual covering. And it's not, like, spoon-feeding relationships. It's just what God has designed. If you go to Psalms 128, I like this idea. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord who walks in his ways. When you, eat the la- when you eat the labor of your hands, you shall be happy and it shall be well with you. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine in the heart of the house. Your children like olive plants all around your table. Essentially, wives are blessed by the spiritual leadership of their husbands. Like, if you fear the Lord and you're walking in all his commandments, and we don't have commandments now, but if you're, you're fearing the Lord and you're walking in the truth and you're constantly in this thing, your wife is going to be like a fruitful vine, and vine in the heart of your house. Like, that's exciting. I want a fruitful vine. And it's, it's, not, even, it's not just true for wives. It says, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging for bread. Like, I have such an amazing heritage in my dad. The guy's up at four in the morning, has read his Bible for like two hours before I've even thought about hitting my snooze button. And so when I buy a house at the age of 25, it's not because I'm awesome, but because my dad has done exceptionally well. Like, I attribute everything good in my life to the spiritual covering of my family. It's so amazing. I'm so, and, and I just want to cultivate that in my family. And so what we get to is that our young adult decisions will unalterably affect our future. I mean, now it seems ridiculous to be talking about marriage for some of us. But what you do now, your time in the Word, your relationships, how you go about dating, every little decision is going to affect your wife. It's going to affect your children. You may not, you may think, I'm not having kids, that's funny. But you will. Someday you're going to want kids. 
and it's going to be awesome, but you're going to have to, like, you're going to look back and go, man, I wish I was in the Word a little more often. Like, Naf and I went to a, a men's retreat, and it's, like, full of, like, 50-year-old guys who are like, I really wish I had gotten the Word a lot. Like, they, a lot of them are like, I'm just now getting in the Word. And they're talking about, like, these revelations they're having, and Naf and I are like, I was reading that six weeks ago. And it's like these 50-year-old men, they should be, we should be looking up to them as elders with like so much more like spiritual growth. And it's, it's just like, I really don't want to get there. I don't want to be that way. So really what I want to get to is, is expectations. This is a huge thing. Like we're, I'm not talking to like a, a bunch of like couples. I'm talking for the most part to a bunch of single people. And so I want to talk about what your expectations, well, I am talking about what should your expectations be for marriage. And so I found um, this YouTube video. It's super cool. Um, and it's one of those, like, what is it, modern-day poet kind of people. And they wrote, it's, it's amazing. And it talks about this girl's expectations for marriage, for herself, what dating looks like to her. And, like, I really hope that uh, I don't cry. Like, I, I've, I've not heard it once and not been like, huh? that's awesome. So I'm going to play it for you guys, and then I'm going to quickly talk about some of what she said and some of the expectations that I expect. So. So it seemed that it was cool for everyone to be in a relationship but me. So I took matters into my own hands and ended up with him. Him who displayed the characteristics of a cheater, a liar, an abuser, and a thief. So why was I surprised when he broke into my heart? I called 911, but I was cardiac arrested for aiding and abetting because it was me who let him in, claiming we were just friends. It was already decided for me by the first date that even if he wasn't, I was going to make him the one. You know, I was tired of being alone, and I simply made up in my mind that it was about that time, so I decided to drag him along for the ride because I was always the bridesmaid and never the bride. Uh, virgin in the physical, but mentally just a grown woman on the corner in heat who was tired of the weight. So I was going to make him the one. He had a form of godliness, but not much. <laughs> but, but, but hey, hey, I can change him, so I'll take him. I mean, he's close enough. Ready to sell my aorta for a quarter, not knowing the value of its use to me. Arteries so clogged with my will, it blocked his will from flowing through me. So I thank Christ that his blood pressure gave this heart an attack that flatlined my obscured vision, put me flat on my back. Through my ignorance, he saw. So through my sternum, he sawed and cracked open my chest to transplant Psalms 5110. A new heart and a renewed right spirit within. So now I fully understand, better yet, I thoroughly comprehend how much I need to wait for you. See, the bad thing is that I knew he wasn't you from the beginning. Because in the beginning was the word, and he didn't even sound or shine like your son. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, and all he could whisper was sweet, empty nothings. Which meant nothing. 
He couldn't even pray when I needed him to. Asking him to fast would be absurd, so forget about being cleansed and washed with water through the word. But I know you, you are already praying for me. Even never having met me, let me assure you, I will wait for you. I will no longer date, socialize, or communicate with carbon copies of you to appease my boredom or to quench my thirsty desire for attention and short-lived compliments from sorta kindness. You know he's sorta kinda right, but sorta kinda wrong. His first name Luke, his last name Warm. for false companionship. I won't lay in the embrace of his arms, attempting to find some closeness, but never feeling so far apart, because I just want to be held. Because all I got to do is say no. No more almost sessions of almost coming close, passing winks and buying drinks, and I'm a, I'm a, I'm a flirt who flirts with the ideology of, can you just tell me how much I can get away with and still be saved? No more. I'll stay in my bed alone and write poems about how I will wait for you. <laughs> he won't even come close. Our fingers won't even interlock. We won't even exchange breath because I have thoughts that I've saved as and a father God has only equipped you to open. I will no longer get rated down from so-called friends and family talks about the concern for my biological clock when I serve the author of time. <laughs> Who is not subject to time, but I'm subject to him. He has the ability to stop, fast forward, pause, or rewind at any given time. So if we could role play, you would be Abraham and I would be Sarah. <laughs> Or you could be Isaac and I could be Rebecca, a servant's answer to prayer. I am bone of your bone, flesh of your flesh, made up of your rib, Adam. And once we meet, like electrons, I will be bound to your nucleus, completely indivisible, Atom. We even speak the same math. One plus one plus one equals three, which really equals one if you Adam. image, but you have the ability to reflect, project, and even detect the sun. If I were to explain what you look like, you would have to look like a star, a son of the sun. I would gain energy simply from the light that you shine on me. I would need you in order to complete my photosynthesis. I await your revelation, but once again from the Genesis, I will wait for you. And I will know you, because when you speak, I will be reminded of Solomon's wisdom. Your ability to lead will remind me of Moses. Your faith will remind me of Abraham. Your confidence in God's word will remind me of Daniel. Your inspiration will remind me of Paul. Your heart for God will remind me of David. Your attention to detail will remind me of Noah. Your integrity will remind me of Joseph. And your ability to abandon your own will will remind me of the disciples. But your ability to love selflessly and unconditionally will remind me of Christ. But I won't need to identify you by any special Matthews or any special marks because this word will be tatted all over your heart. And you will know me and you will find me where the boldness of Esther 
meets the warm closeness of Ruth, where the hospitality of Lydia is aligned with the submission of Mary, which is engulfed in the tears of a praying Hannah, I will be the one drenched in Proverbs 31, waiting for you. But to my father, my father who has known me before I was birthed into this earth, only if you should see fit. I desire your will above mine, so even if you call me to a life of singleness, my heart is content with you, the one who has sinned. You are the greatest love story ever told, the greatest love ever known. You are forever my judge, and I'm forever your witness. And I pray that I'm always found on a mission about my father's business. I will always be yours, and I will always wait for you, Lord, more than the watchmen wait for the morning. More than the watchmen wait for the morning, I will wait. Isn't that ridiculous? I watched that and I was like, oh, that is awesome. <laughs> no, what's with the snapping? I think it's they don't want to clap and be rude. But I, like, good Lord, everything I'm talking about, like, she just eloquently put it. Like, you need to know the word. And she's, gonna, she's expecting all of these things from her future husband. And she, expect, like, she will wait. She's, she knows he's always praying. Like, I've read, listened to the thing like 15 times because I know for a fact that like, that is, is the correct expectation for dating and marriage and relationships. Like, she, fully, she will not settle for me six months ago. I don't know. She won't settle for me six, 15 years from now. But she is not a woman. Like, that's an awesome, awesome idea. And I, I've been, um, the cool thing is God's been giving me greater expectations. Um, the, the day, I've told a few of my friends this, but the, one of the days I'm, I'm sitting at home and I'm just broken. And I'm like, I can't, I don't know why, like, and I'm just crying into my Bible. Like, I literally just, like, stick my face, oh, I stick my face in my Bible and I just start crying. And I'm like, God, I, this sucks. And, and I, I said, God, you got to show me something. you got to say something. And I, like, did the eight-ball Bible thing. And, and Isaiah 62 was the, Bible, the verse that my, like, face was on. And I read it, and it said, you shall be, no, you shall no longer be termed forsaken, um, but you shall be a royal diadem, a crown of glory in the hand of the Lord. Um, and I shall call you by another name which the Lord shall name. You shall be called Hephzibah, and your land Belua, for the Lord delights in you. I was like, oh, that's awesome. He delights in me. That sounds good. And I looked up just out of happenstance, like, what does Belua and Hephzibah mean? Hephzibah means my delight is in her, and Belua means um, married. So in my, like, absolute crappiest time, when I really have no expectations for the future, he says, I delight in you. You are a crown of glory. You shall be called my delight is in her, and your land shall be married, for the Lord delights in you. And it was just such a, like... Oh, that's exactly what I wanted to hear. Like, and just the way that he just graciously speaks to me through the word was, is always so exciting. But with those promises of you will be in a relationship where your delight is in her, like he, at one point I'm reading Mark 9.42, and he says, um, it is better. he's talking about children, but he says it's better for the one that causes these to sin um, for him to have like a, a concrete pillar poured around his neck and for him to be thrown in the ocean. And as I read that, God was like, I'm going to give you a wife who is so ridiculously pure. She is going to be yours to destroy or to build up for my kingdom. And I just broke down because it was like, oh, 
God desires so much out of our relationships. And it, 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 he wants our expectations from relationships to be like that woman. Just so in line with his words. So expectant for the things that God wants to see. And as I was reading, you know, I get really excited about husbands and, and what it means to sanctify and cleanse by the washing of the word and, and to love your wives as your own body. Like, I, I have no wife. I'm clearly already praying for her. But, and I call her my delight. It's kind of cute. But the thing is, I, I keep, I, every time I'm going through the word, there's some new, like, truth that about, that's connected with this. And so my, my favorite one is uh, 1 Corinthians 11. And it says, man is the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. And, and I, I wrote that down, and I took it with me everywhere I went. I was like, what does that even mean? Man is the image and glory of God, and woman is the glory of man. It says we're the image of God because we're creating his image. He looks something like me. He's probably not 5'10". I bet he's like 6'1 and buff. But he, I look, I, I have like the likeness of him. But um, it, it says we are the glory of God. And I was like, well, glory? Whenever we talk about glory, we talk about let your glory fall. And that's like a, um, a manifestation of your power. You know, it's, it's lightning, it's fire, it's, you know, it's whatever we deem God to be like in, in like the closeness. But that's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about a manifestation. He's saying when he talks about glory, it's more like, um, like a royal, it's, it's more like a trophy, it's more like, what did, what did I say? It's, oh, I wish I'd, oh, there it is. Something that is a source of honor, fame, admiration, a distinguished ornament or an object of pride. So he says, man is the glory of God. Like, we are his, we bring glory to his name. We are a distinguished ornament. We are an object of pride. That's so cool, but it's even cooler when you think about it in the context of marriage. Because, you know, that prom promise to me, Isaiah 62, he says, you shall be a crown of glory in my hand. And it, immediately I was like, oh, like that, that's what he wants me to be. But when it says woman is the glory of man, I began sticking that, that definition of glory in there. And really what that leads me to is women, all women should be trophy wives, essentially. It's not a very, like, holy thought, but really you should look at them, and it's not that, like, degrading, like, oh, she's, she's, you know, he's 50 and she's got fake boobs, like that type of, like, trophy wife. Like, that's not the one I'm talking about. I'm talking about trophy wives in the context of, of what it means to God. Sorry, it's not very holy. <laughs> and, and I know for a fact that my future wife, I have no idea what she looks like, but she is going to be the greatest blessing in my life. She's going to be wholly undeserved. She's going to be way out of my league. And it has nothing to do with this like high lofty sense of like what I can achieve. Like that is what God is going to bless me with. I have, he said, I'm going to call you my desires and her. And really every time God talks about us being a crown of glory, he always follows that with a sweet promise. So in... Um, Zechariah 9.16, he promises new grain, new wine. You're like, if you've ever been to like 500 BC, that's awesome. Like they were really excited about new grain and new wine. And, and in Isaiah 62, he says, I will rename you. Like that's such a sweet blessing. He renamed Abraham, uh, Saul became Paul who wrote most of the Bible. Like he, Father Abraham, you know, with the dance. He, whenever he renamed someone, it was super powerful. And so every time he says you're a crown of glory, 
he promises a blessing. And so as, as men and as expectant women, like you should look for a guy who's gonna value that way. And you should hold women to that standard. Like I, every time I say like my, when I say my future wife is gonna be my glory, like the greatest thing that ever happens to me, I should always follow that with and I'm gonna give her, I'm gonna bless her. Like that's how God does it. He talks about glory and then he talks about all the things he's gonna heap into our lives. In the same way, like I talk about my future wife, we expect these relationships and then we say, oh, I'm gonna give him the best. So when we're struggling with sin, when we're dealing, when we're like, not really making any headway in life. Think about these future relationships and realize that like God would give his very, very best and so that's what I'm aiming for. So as the band comes up, I just wanna close with this, this question is, is what, are you, what are you looking for? Like what do you expect? Like do you have expectations like that? Are they super lofty and defined by the media or are they defined by what God really wants to see in your life? Husbands, or dudes, sorry. Do you really want, do you expect your wife to be a trophy wife? Are you preparing for that? Are you cleansing yourselves by the washing of the word yourself so that when you do get married, you're gonna have something to like cleanse with? I mean, I just went to a wedding. It was so cool. It was a super powerful wedding. Like they, they're perfect for each other. But three years ago, the, um, the bride said, I just, we can't date anymore. Like, I can't see myself being led by you. And it was like, all of our guy friends were like, nah, she's stupid, you're awesome. And we like, you know, did, but like literally, like he wasn't in his word. He was not the man of God he is today. And so what you can do when you find out that you're subpar is you can, you can orphan your way out of it and say like, no, 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 that's not me. It, she's stupid. And you, can, and you can argue and you can fight. Or you can say, yeah, maybe I don't match up to what God has for me. And so what he did was he got in his word. He got, into, he got involved with his church. He got into a community, you know, Bible study. Like he just charged after it, not so that he could just gain it, but just because he wanted to be what he needed to be. And so they just got married, and he is a man of God, powerful. Like when we prayed over him, there was full confidence in who he was gonna be. And... I would just challenge you. I mean, if you're heading towards a relationship that you know, eh, he's all right. You know, he's lukewarm. He's, don't do it. It's simple. Like if, if, and if you're outside of a relationship, enjoy all the growth you can have now. These, this, all of that's in, held in Ephesians 5, 22 through 33 is for you. You're not a husband. You're not a wife. But... All of these things are God wants to build in your life pre-marriage. And it should really give you exceptional hope and excitement. So as we, we're going to go into one more song uh, tonight. And really, if anything hits you, I mean, especially if she hits you, like, just give it to God. Tell Him, hey, I'm doing this, I'm not that, I want it to be this, this. And just speak your mind. And, uh... And just ask for some reformed expectations and just see how God is going to unfold his word and change your life.